I want this evening to, to start by asking, uh, I guess, a, a, you, I'm not going to point to people or expect, but you're very welcome to answer if you'd like. Um, I wonder, have you ever taken an, an intelligence test, an IQ test? Wouldn't dare. <laughs> I did once, I was curious, because there was um, a spate of people going, oh, I'm a Mensa and all that. Um, those people in the top, over 120 or something in IQ. Anyone done that? You're going to run? No, I'm going to all rush out later and perhaps, maybe not. Uh, you can, but I'm not going to answer. <laughs> top 500 what? <laughs> uh, they don't, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I doubt it uh, very, very much. Um, what about an EQ test? Have you ever come across an EQ test? Do you know what an EQ test is? It's not something on your sound deck, uh, the equalizer. It's an emotional intelligence test. Sometimes hyper-intelligent people can be the most bull in a china shop. Have you noticed that? Or, uh, but there's, there's, there's intelligence about emotion, of, of how well we know ourselves, of of how we know we are poked and prompt and what makes us have a short fuse and what kind of irks us and, and the stuff that can accumulate and make us blow a gasket or be like a pressure cooker or whatever. And, uh, and for those who are most closely around, maybe they know the signs of that better than you. Emotional intelligence. Uh, there's a, a series of books by a guy called Peter Scazzaro uh, that deal with with that whole thing of, of are we growing emotionally? Um, intelligence, that kind of thing that we're schooled in and encouraged to have continual learning and growth and knowledge and so forth. But this evening I want us to, to think a little bit about, about something that I uh, was provoked and reminded of again this morning in Phil's message. He's reading the Bible in a year again, which is great. And uh, it's talking about the big chunks that have to be read each and every day. To get through, and there comes a point when you realize that the, the Bible is not all the same. I think you said something like, You're enjoying Genesis, it's a great story, and then it gets to the sticky bits. Um, for me, the sticky bits are one and two chronicles. I think they're really tedious. Uh, sorry, Lord, um, and sorry, all those characters, but I, I don't mind Leviticus actually. I think it's kind of interesting and it's fairly short. Deuteronomy, anyway, I won't give you a list of my favorite of the, uh, the passage or not, but you get, to the st- you get to points in the scriptures and you realize that there's, there's very different types. You come across that. So there's the, the, the book of law and, and the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's all about the giving of covenant and the establishment of God's people. And that's a particular type. And then you get uh, all those wonderful accounts of, of prophets, of those who uh, act and speak on behalf of God. Elijah and Elisha, Samuel uh, as well, and um, all those that we would know as prophets because they have a book of the Bible named after them. But there's others in there as well. Nathan, who crops up in the encounter with uh, David in, um, in Kings. Kings is a lot better than Chronicles. Stick with Kings, I say. Um, or read it and see if you disagree with me. That's a, there's a test. But there's another type of scripture sometimes called the writings, or often given another name. Do you know what that is, the third category in the Bible? Hmm. Got the prophets, 
and the law. And it's the wisdom, the wisdom literature. Pop quiz, which are the three books of wisdom? Ecclesiastes, that's one. Proverbs, absolutely, spot on. And the third being... Any guesses? It's Job. Job is the third book of wisdom. And I thought I'd want to um, kind of reflect a little bit on wisdom this evening and, and give you, uh, well, another question. It, this is not me devolving myself responsibility to preach, but I'm trying to engage a little bit. Uh, who is the wisest person that you've come across? Hannah would say Jesus. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. Uh, thank you, Phil, for uh, letting the cat out of the bag so quickly. But apart from Jesus, that you've met, I mean, Jesus we've met, I'm not letting that, but you can't say Solomon now, because uh, he was a wise king. Who's uh, a wise person that you've met? In real life, yeah. And Wherever you want to, uh, you're going to say Philip, aren't you, Hermie? Huh? <laughs> Rosemary, okay. Why is Rosemary, why is Rosemary wise? Yeah, can you say why without divulging a particular instance? What is it about Rosemary? She lives in the Word of God. Yeah, Okay. Okay, so delighted there as a wise woman in a Helen Brackenbury, yeah, Helen's wise, and she would not claim that at all. Oh, not me, she'd say. Um, not quite like that, actually. Uh, but uh, who would who would be wise? This struck me, uh, Bridget, as you were singing the song, and it was lovely. And I, I affirm your cho song choices absolutely. Show your power, O Lord. But because I knew what I was speaking on, I was thinking, I can't think of any songs, probably my error, where we're actually asking the Lord for wisdom. God, I look to you, yeah. There you are. I would... Thank you, Hermie. My clerk. <laughs> Here. I know, I get the heckling over the... Term is very wise, very learned. I think there's, there's something here maybe to, to dwell upon. That we, when we look at the Bible, wisdom is a really key feature. There's a whole section of scripture about wisdom, as we said, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. And I'll talk a little bit about it, but it's not the only bit of wisdom literature in the scriptures. There are other parts, kind of little micro sections, and I'll give you a free, few examples of those. But wisdom is something really to be cherished. It was Solomon's kind of question, or when he became king, 
out of all the things he could ask and pray for, he prayed for wisdom, and God gave it in double measure. And then, for a great deal of his time, he was the most regarded sovereign monarch of all. He lost that wisdom later on in some of his choices. He didn't act on that wisdom. Um, what I'm talking about here is not just intelligence, that you can be really wise and not know much. It's not about knowledge, not about head. I've got some, thankfully, I've got some very smart friends, and I have to say some of the smartest friends that I know really don't have much common sense. Have you noticed that? It's not just about intelligence, though we celebrate intelligence and it's really, really important. I want us to read uh, Proverbs chapter 1, um, although we could have read the whole Proverbs and, uh, and so forth. But let me, let me start with just chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, cast lots with us, we will share all the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will, will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Since you dis disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I will turn, I, I in turn will laugh with, when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. 
Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of the fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Wisdom is so, so important. This category of literature in the, wisdom, in, the, in the Bible, the Old Testament, is really important, but not just limited there. People talk about Psalm 1 as a wisdom psalm. Solomon, as I've mentioned, were very, very wise. But there are characters all along in the Scriptures who act in the power of God absolutely, but also who act in the prophetic Yes, but act with great wisdom. Think about great Joseph, who had his world turned upside down, but acted with wisdom. He was seen to lead with wisdom and great kind of governance, wasn't he, in Potiphar's household. And then when uh, his, uh, Potiphar's wife chased after him, he was kind of fled. That was wise. Didn't go so well for him. Uh, He was turned over to the jailers. But in jail, he found favor. And uh, through that story, you know it. He heard, you know, he was able to interpret visions and dreams. But when he encountered Pharaoh, Pharaoh not only recognized that he had insight about the dreams, but elevated him to be like the prime minister of that nation. And he led with great wisdom. Seven years of plenty, Seven years of famine, and the whole world recognized that God was with them. Or Daniel, again, an interpreter of dreams and visions, yet Daniel, again, was elevated to be the the kind of leading administrator. Wisdom, I'm sure, characterized him as well as a deep-seated faith. In fact, they go hand in hand. He was the one who got up and would pray regularly, wasn't he? And that was cause for them to accuse him and say, you're not worshiping these gods. And yet, in his wisdom, he said, well, there is only one God. And he continued in that faithful devotion, but led a nation, the powerful empire of the time, the superpower, with wisdom. Wisdom is... One of those things that has cropped up in all sorts of places started probably with these pithy statements that, that you get in Proverbs of, of oh, it's the, the monitor, isn't it? Thank you. Does anyone feel Is that wise, Phil? Well, <laughs> I was making a joke. I thought, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It was distracting me. Um, yeah, it's, it's been around for a while. And it seems to be that the, the, as you read these three letters, uh, these three parts of the Old Testament, and discover wisdom along the way, that you'll see that, that there's something different about this type of scripture than the rest. Wisdom literature, and indeed this whole thing of being wise actually doesn't try and offer glib answers. It's not refrigerator cards or post-it notes. 
Although you might kind of think that when it, you know, it, uh, I'll just pick up one. Um, uh, well, there's the, the, I'm, my mind's gone to one, but I won't uh, say it, one of the Proverbs to do with a drippy tap, because um, I'll get shot down later. But um, they're, they, you know, they're pithy th- statements, and you can put Proverbs onto uh, a post-it note, and, it can say, and you can kind of say, oh, that's, that's really kind of helpful, and they are. But actually, wisdom literature, the three types, have to kind of be balanced together. I'll speak a little bit about that in a moment. Wisdom is seeking to understand how the world works. And its starting point is really from observation of life, as opposed to other parts of the scripture, which tend towards this is the revelation of God. This is what God says. This is, is, is the direction of God or the trajectory of God or working through his people and raising people up for his plans and purposes. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying that wisdom isn't scriptural, but the emphasis of much of the rest of, of scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is of God's revelation of what God says. Wisdom starts from another place. It starts from an observation of what is happening in life. Why is this happening? What is happening? It's not saying God is not part of that, but starts at a very different place. And it is, by nature, not simplistic. Ultimately, it defers uh, to God himself and his sovereignty. Ever read through Ecclesiastes, and it's 12 chapters of most of it is meaningless or, or transitory or ephemeral or passing. What is the point of all this? And, and as I like to tell students and, and people who are doing degrees, the reading of many books, Where is the Soul, chapter 12, uh, and gets to the end and says, what is it? As I've searched throughout all of, of, of everything that one can learn about everything, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, is to fear God. Trust your way to him. He could have got there perhaps slightly earlier, but he takes 12 chapters. I remember being in Leon C, and they, we preached through Ecclesiastes. Do you remember that, Phil? And after about two or three weeks, people go, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's all meaningless. Please get to a bit of hope. Uh, but Ecclesiastes is a really good corrective to our world, which would be simplistic, or the self-helps or the gurus. Actually, meaning and purpose is found in God. The wisdom literature recognizes that, um, that the world, the reason we can find wisdom and, and purpose in, in this observation of the world, particularly Proverbs, is because God has made it. It affirms the creator God, that, that it's not chaotic, it is not random, it is not set in motion and spinning like a Catherine wheel without a post and it's just kind of like all a mess. It's chaos. It's much of what our world would say. Wisdom would say absolutely not. It defers to, the, to God, recognizes that God has created this world with, with uh, meaning and purpose and the phys- physics students in the world would say the laws of nature. Well, we can affirm that and say, yeah, God, God has made this world and he's made it good, complicated and beautiful. That as we as, as human beings are creatures of God and of, in the nature of being made in the image of God are capable of receiving some of that revelation, some of that insight in the complexity and the beauty. And in, as we heard in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Of course, it is about God. It is about awe of God and seeking to be in obedience to him. That without wisdom, we get caught up in pride and presumption. I sometimes talk to my scientific friends who are adamant that I'm a stupid scientist because I have faith. Why did you abandon your science roots? Well, I'd say lots of reasons for that. But I also sometimes point out scientific theory is a shiftable sand. It wasn't so long ago that the moon was made of cheese. Or it was separated, hived out of the earth, like the Pacific base. I remember my mum had a series of encyclopedias. It's like, you know, that was the proud thing. My parents owned this complete set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I was urged from a young age not to watch cartoons, go and read the encyclopedia. And I was really turned off by that. But I remember coming back to it later on when I was doing science, and I opened it up and thought, well, I'll learn about the moon. And it had the, the latest theory about how the moon had cleaved out and the Pacific Ocean was the bit that was left. And that was what was scientific theory. What I'm trying to say is that scientific theory is moving on all the time. There's always revolutions and complete sea changes in scientific theory. Great. But if we put our trust in the current theories, we may find ourselves adrift. Not so with the word of the Lord. Not saying there's things to gain from what scientists and, uh, and those people who are exploring and discovering and, and experimenting and finding out, and we're the recipients of so much of that wonderfully. But the beginning of all this is the fear of God, which Proverbs and wisdom speak about. Just to, to recognize that there is wisdom in judges with Jotham, that the, the women judges that God raises up act with wisdom. And indeed, uh, after Solomon as king, there are kind of, there's a tradition that raises up, kind of rises up in the, uh, in the sort of um, king, age of the kings and onwards of the office or the role of wise people who were sought in the kind of council of the kings who would advise the king, whoever it would happen to be, about what is wise. That some commentators, some people recognize that as the prophetic voice got less and less, particularly from exile and, the, uh, and in the post-exilic period, you know, when they returned back to Israel after being in, the, in um, Babylon for 70 years, that, that actually the prophetic voice became silent pretty much. But the role of wisdom grew and grew and grew. Some people interpret Genesis chapters 1 to 11, the prologue to Genesis, as wisdom literature. Some of the Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm um, 32, 34, 37, and so on, um, 133, carry a wisdom context. What characterizes these uh, things? Well, there's an absence in them of references to the key story of the Old Testament, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They don't get really mentioned. You know, that salvation history and, and, uh, and the exile and the covenant in Sinai and, and uh, Egypt and all that that goes on and on and on in the other things because it's rightly important. In wisdom, 
doesn't really get mentioned. There aren't um, very many references to the name of God as Yahweh. In our English Bibles, that translates as Lord with the capital letters. When you see Lord, capital, it's Exodus 3, the name God gives in from the bush that doesn't burn up. I am who I am, Yahweh. Replete all over scripture, capitalized Lord in our English translation. In wisdom, very rare to find that. Obviously, the word wisdom or wise occurs a lot. It's where the type of literature comes from. Words that are discern, understand, plan, discipline, correction, knowledge, used interchangeably. As I've mentioned, it doesn't begin with revelation or thus this is what the Lord says. It's not linked to covenant obedience like so much of the other things we hear about, a faithfulness to the covenant. But rather, of recognizing, of looking, of perceiving at what is happening and seeking to find meaning and understand of how to live well, how to perform life, how to make sense. And so there's a differentiation between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge seems to be about what we can retain and understand, whereas Biblical wisdom is how we relate to God, how we take our lives, our very act of living, and live it wisely, obviously in the context of worship, but also in the context of everything else. The stupid or the fool is actually someone who disregards God. What do the three things teach? Proverbs, if you read it, it's wonderful. It's, it's wise, isn't it? It's drawn from looking at the way the ants move and, you know, don't be a sluggard, observe the ants and, they, you, know, and uh, you know, a little rest, a little slumber, all that kind of thing. It, it observes life and draws out ways of living. It kind of puts a perspective of saying, if you do this, if you follow these ways, it generally, you will go, life will go well. It will make sense that, you know, if you keep, as we read in chapter one, if you keep the with sitting with fools and, and plotting with evildoers and the, 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 the foolish, those who disregard God, you'll get caught up and it will go terribly wrong for you. But if you go the way of honesty and integrity, of righteousness, then your life will prosper. And it makes sense. But you're also in the back of your mind going, ah, but why do the righteous suffer then? Why doesn't it work like clockwork? Why, if this Proverbs is wisdom and God-given, if we put it and we learnt it and applied all that it would seek to teach, we 99 times out of 100, blessing and blessing. But what about the diagnosis of disease? And what about the neighbor that moves in that's really awkward? Or what about that lightning strike on the house? Or what about, not that we'd have that very often, but you know what I mean. When life just doesn't seem to work quite like that. And that's where wisdom goes, says we need Job. We need Good old, blameless, honorable, godly Job, whose life goes messy 
because I want to use a word, but I won't. Stuff happens. And behind it, there's a spiritual battle, obviously. And it's not to do with falling or sin. You know, those are friends that come along and say, Job, you've sinned, you've, di- you've, you've uh, let God down, you've dishonored God, something. And he says, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And if you live in a cause and effect world, where if you do this, this will happen. Uh, one thing will lead to another. If you do the right thing, good will happen to you. Job says, yes, but not always. You can be holy and righteous and suffer. And not be out of the plans and purposes of God. And Ecclesiastes would say, in life, if you strive after anything but God, it eventually will evaporate like the morning dew. Ephemeral, temporary, transitory. Meaning's not there. Purpose is not there. That classic scripture in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything under the sun. Only in God do we find meaning. God is viewed as the creator and sustainer of the world. Absolutely. There is order in the universe. And that by observing it, we can deduce patterns. Absolutely. Things aren't chaotic or random. That there are boundaries in creation and choices operate. Jump off a cliff, it will go badly. 100 times out of 100. God's goodness is seen in creation, in the creatures that he's made, in the human ability that he's given. That is okay to dwell and think and reflect. And wisdom allows us to discover that order and find a path to walk. Wisdom is essentially really practical for spirituality that is deeply practical not away with the fairies about the choices one makes and lives life to the full wisdom helps us to know how to act and what to do in other words to live well wisdom has limits obviously as I've said Proverbs can really help us but at times it seems that Proverbs is exploded Please do reference Job in that. The innocent suffer, that it doesn't seem fair, that there is more going on than we can comprehend. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Creation is vast and complex. And indeed, Job is challenged from the whirlwind. He said, who's weighed the waters? Who knows how many snowflakes are falling? Who feeds the mountain goats you know not what of? Or even the... Creatures in our world that David Attenborough hasn't filmed yet because no one's found them. But the Lord knows. The world is complex. Wisdom is practical and acquired through experience and looking and observing. And indeed, wisdom is something to seek after. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight declares that wisdom is hidden with God And the only way to discover that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Uh, As we kind of began to hear in chapter 1, wisdom is also personified. We get the name Sophie, don't we, from the Greek Sophia, meaning wisdom. There's this sense of of pursue Lady Wisdom. 
because she offers to share with her friends the life she shares with God. Not saying there's a fourth person to the Trinity. Don't mishear that. But there's something beautiful about wisdom. I suspect that we find that wisdom given in the Holy Spirit. So what do we take away from this as I close? There's a, 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 a spiritual discipline called the prayer of examine. Have you ever heard of that? It's a practice where at the end of the day, with your cup of Horlicks, if that still exists, and uh, your cocoa, and you just take some moments and like ex- to examine, you look back at your day and you say, where was God in it? And where did I miss you, God? And where did I walk in faith? And where didn't I? And where did I lose my temper? Or where did I trip up? Or, or where was I lacking? And what could have I done? Examine the day. It doesn't have to take for long. But to ask God to reveal and show and grow in wisdom by reflecting, perceiving in prayer, and taking that little pearl of, of wisdom and growing from it. Maybe that is helpful in journaling or maybe just the discipline of reflecting on on how you responded uh, or having a mentor or or someone to learn the ways of wisdom. Maybe uh, as as a a thought about how you witness to non-Christians, wouldn't it be really interesting to say what works in the world? Maybe we should do not arrival to Alpha, that would be wrong. But start in a way of what makes life go well? And obviously Alpha is a, a key part of that, of introducing Jesus. Absolutely, we need Jesus. But finding, I was talking to someone recently about, you know, where does, how does life work when it all goes wrong? Wisdom is a great place to start because God's given it. But also, Also to recognize that there's something really attractive about wisdom. And I'll finish with this. So often when Jesus teaches, you know, in in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a wisdom section. The wise man built his house where? On the rock. The foolish man built his house where? On the sand. But again and again, when Jesus teaches, they come to him and say, teacher, rabbi. Or they challenge him and say, in this issue what should we do remember when should we pay taxes to caesar what about the temple tax that again and again there's this little refrain that comes up in the gospel where where jesus the people marvel at his wisdom or astonished by his teaching and perplexed by his parables but there's something about the jesus who embodies who is wisdom as, as we spend our time in the mornings learning about the heart of Jesus in, in joy and, and in his gentle heart and in all that we're doing, in getting to know him, he will lead us into a wise life because he is the ancient of days and is wisdom himself. Show your power, Lord, amongst us in the spiritual gifts, but maybe raise up wisdom in us. Not just in the spiritual gathering, 
but in our parenting and our work relationships, in, in our encounters with our grumpy neighbors who've got a boundary dispute, and how do we handle it godly, in a godly fashion, of being asked and invited in to be wise. Not because we've got the IQ or the EQ, but we've become f- more and more friendly with Jesus wise one. Let's pray.